All right, well, what I thought I would do for Sunday school is um, not just pick up where Reverend Tedrick left off, but I haven't had a chance to do Sunday school since I got back from my trip to Romania. So I thought I might talk a little bit about that and allow people to ask questions about why we do what we do and, and how that all transpired. So um, I thought I would give a little bit of report. You don't have to watch a slideshow of my vacation, so I'm not going to do that to you. Um, but I am going to talk a little bit about why, why we go and what happened. And so, you know, I was gone for, for four weeks. So part of our, my plan was to take some time to go on vacation, to go on this Ligonier cruise around the Mediterranean and take 12 days to do that. So I was already going out to Europe. And so um, David Hooper kind of leads up our Romania committee. And we kind of thought about, well, maybe this will be a good opportunity since you're already going to be out that way. Not that if you know your geography, Romania is not really on the way to Rome. Um, but if you're going to fly all that way anyway, uh, might as well go and visit. So we do have money set aside in their missions budget for oversight trips. So thankfully, this is not an expense that our church needs to always defray to go out and do these visits. But doing it this way was an opportunity for us to even save a little bit more money on that visit by incorporating it with me going out there. So that's kind of how it happened that I went out at this time and why I was gone for so long. So I spent two Sundays in Romania um, so that I could preach and give Mihai a little bit of a break. Um, and so that's what, that's what I did. I flew out on a Thursday. I left here on Thursday, got there on a Friday, um, which is always hard to keep track of the time because Romania is a 10-hour time difference. So when you get there, your clock is almost upside down. Um, so I, like I watched a number of the Padre playoff games at 3 in the morning. Um, so, because I was awake anyway. <laughs> I couldn't. So it was good to do it that way so that I could get there and have at least a little bit of you know, time to catch up and not have to try to preach the very next day. Um, and so I did that. Two Sundays I preached, um, preached both services on the first Sunday and just in the morning on the second Sunday, uh, but was able to then be there in the intervening days to, to spend time uh, with them. So we really had kind of um, three main points of going, and first was to give Mihai some pulpit supply. Um, Mihai Korcha, who's our missionary in Romania, um, there are not many Reformed Romanian-speaking ministers. Uh, so for him to get any kind of pulpit supply is very difficult. Um, and so even when he gets pulpit supply, he still usually has to do the translating. Um, Romanian is an interesting language. It's a Romance language, so it's based, you know, has a Latin base. So if you speak Spanish, you can put it together a little bit. Is that, that's right? Okay. I'm looking to you. You're my Spanish expert for the remainder of the for the remainder of the day, okay? Um, but if you speak a little, you can, you can kind of catch the gist sometimes of what's being said, but it also has some uh, Slovakian influences, and that just then takes you off an entirely different way. Um, so it's an interesting kind of language in that sense. Um, but obviously, if you don't speak it, you can't preach in it, and so going out there, you, you can preach for him, but he still usually needs to do the translation. But what that does help him to do is to at least have a week off of preparing sermons to preach. And he said it's actually fairly easy to translate if you, if you do it the right way. So I tried to pay careful attention to what he told me to do um, and go there. And, you know, it's difficult because if you want to have a half-hour sermon, if you want to preach it and have it translated, you can really only preach for 15 minutes um, because he needs to then translate it. 
Um, and it's also a little strange to speak to people and then have someone else speak in a language that you don't know and have no idea what's being said in the translation. So I said, I hope you're making it better um, as we go along. But um, so that's kind of how it went. I would say one or two sentences, and then he would say one or two, he would say it, he would translate it, and then I would go and I would translate it. So it's, as a preacher, it's difficult to really feel like you're able to get into it at all. So I did what I usually don't do, which is write out a manuscript of exactly what I'm going to say um, so that I could keep track. And I actually put breaks in to make sure I didn't go on and on and on and leave him trying to figure out how am I going to translate all of that now. Um, he scared me the first when he picked me up for church. We are going in 20 minutes, going there for 20 minutes. I already had to take one of my sermons and chop it in half uh, to try to preach there. And then he said, I think your manuscript is still a little long. And I said, well... How, 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 much, how much longer than it should be do you think it is? And he said, well, I think it's about, you know, 2,400 words, and it needs really to be about 1,500. And I thought, we're in the car on the way to church, and I've already cut this thing in half. Like, I can't cut it in half again. Um, but afterwards, we talked, and he said, you know, in, in Romanian, a lot of the words, he said, I just checked your word count in the document you gave me, and in Romanian, a lot of our articles and our little words that we a and the, those are incorporated into other words. So an English word count is higher, which I found very relieving because I thought, I, I can't chop it down anymore. This is already sort of bare bones. Um, so we did that. So in the morning we preached, and I would say a few words, he would say a few words. And then uh, in the second service, it's a little, it's a small group, so it's a little less formal in the second service. And so um, they've been going through apologetics kind of topically in the second service, and so he asked me to teach on the problem of evil, which if you've ever thought about the problem of evil, is a very daunting topic. And he said, this you can probably do in English. So I thought, okay, good, I'll have the full time. He said, but you'll have about 20 minutes. As I said, and he said, and speak slowly. You can speak in English, but just make sure you speak slowly and don't use big words. I said, okay, so I'm going to teach on the problem of evil, speak slowly, not use big words, and be done in 20 minutes. So um, by God's grace, I think we did okay. We made progress, and then we left time at the end to kind of discuss uh, some things in regard to that. So I was able to do that the first Sunday. And then in the intervening days, I was able to spend time with Mihai and his family uh, most days. So you're trying, to, you know, you're trying to kind of thread the needle of not being around so much that they feel like they've got to babysit you every, every minute of every day, um, but also so that you can spend enough time fellowshipping and, and spending time, right? If, it, it can be a kind of lonely existence as a Reformed Christian in some of these places where there aren't a lot of fellow believers. I mean, imagine, it'd be roughly the equivalent if we were the only Reformed church in San Diego County and there were 20 of us. Um, just imagine how kind of lonely that would feel um, in a big place where there's a lot of people and there are so few of you who think the same way. Uh, maybe some of you have experienced that in places that you've lived where there just doesn't seem to be anyone around who thinks. But even to that extent, there are, there are far more people uh, in, that, in that state. That's one of the big burdens that's on their hearts is to try to reach out to the people that are around them and to see them come uh, to the Lord. They're a country that is predominantly Christian, 97% of the population of Romania would identify as Eastern Orthodox. So 97% of the population would say, I'm an I'm a Orthodox Christian, by which they would mean Eastern Orthodox, some form of that. 
Uh, so 97% of the country would say that. There's, it's a big, you know, cultural influence. They'll baptize children. You pay the priest to come baptize your child. People will gather around. It'll be a family event. So 97% of the, of, the, of the population is like that. You go to public school, you'll get Eastern Orthodox religion classes in public school. Um, you will be taught to memorize the Nicene Creed as part of the public school curriculum in the religion classes. Um, So there's this huge Christian influence, 97% of people would say we're Orthodox, 3% of the population goes to any church on a given Sunday. Um, So not not Eastern Orthodox, any church, um, pretty broadly considered. So it's a country that has a lot of Christian background, there are churches all over the place, but nobody goes to them. Um, and you think of the country's history, you have, you know, just sort of what's happening generally in Europe in terms of Christianity has gone through and then sort of its influence has waned in a lot of places. Um, someone sort of said, we can feel like the church in the U.S. is entering the wilderness, the church in Europe is in the wilderness. They've, they've already passed into that sort of wilderness existence. So in Romania, you have the influence of kind of that you know, post-Christian, as some people will kind of call it. We know you can never be post-Christian in this world, but um, so Christianity's influence has almost kind of come and gone in a sense. It's become very secular, and then you have combined with that a long experience of communism. And of course, communism directly wants to eliminate Christianity. As Mark said, it's the opiate of the people. It keeps people distracted from the things they should be in in touch with. Um, And so, Part of communism is a kind of intentional secularizing and dividing from religion. So you have all of those different influences, and what it's created is an environment that's very difficult um, for Christians of any stripe, particularly Reformed Christians. So one of the things that we wanted to do is to go there to give him some time so we could preach and teach for him, but also to be kind of fellowship and encouragement to remind them that they are connected to the, to the broader church. That's way more important for people who feel isolated as Reformed Christians to be reminded that they're connected with a bigger group of people than they might see day to day. Um, That's one of the positive benefits, I think, of Reformed Youth Services and those events that draw our young people together from all over the country because it it reminds them, especially in smaller churches, that we're not just the handful of weird kids that think this, Uh, that there are hundreds of other kids that go to churches like we go to, believe the things that we believe, Um, you get a better sense of the community you're a part of. Um, And so that's one of the things that we wanted to do as a church. We oversee uh, Mihai. He's technically a minister of our church. But we wanted to have some time to go and to spend time fellowshipping and encouraging with them, Um, encouraging them and to just, it's a way of us extending love to them. Um, I tried to, you know, remind him my being here is, is intended to be an extension of the love of our whole congregation to them, to to spend the time and the effort to go through the disruption of our own local program, um, you know, where we have to have ministers for, you know, substitute ministers for a month. We're blessed to have a number of ministers of our own who can come in, but sometimes they get COVID and uh, can't do what we'd planned to do. So um, I think it was one late one morning that I saw emails flying back and forth, like emergency pulpit supply. And I was like, oh no, what should I? And I'm like, it's the middle of the night and I'm a, con- a continent away. Um, so, what's my geography? One continent, two. Um, 
a ways away, and, you know, I thought, I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to close the computer. Um, so we tried, but, you know, we, we're blessed in that way too, right? If, if Chuck can't preach, then, doc, you know, we can substitute Dr. Vendrun in. Um, we can have other people come in a pinch. You know, it's, it's no, no real loss to us. Um, we're blessed for a limited time, I guess, to have Daniel here as well. So we're, you know, we're blessed. They don't have that. If Mihai can't preach, there's no one else there's no one else to preach. Um, and so we wanted just to remind them of that bigger group that they're a part of. And, and that in some ways, you know, each, each country, each individual ministry has its own difficulties, has its own challenges, um, but there are some similar challenges that we all face. Even in, in our country where there are more churches and there are more Christians and in our county where there are more Reformed churches and more people to fellowship with, we still look around and see a lot of people we wish knew the Lord and wish that our churches were fuller. Um, It doesn't matter how full your church is, you should want it to be fuller. Um, It doesn't matter how many people we've reached with the gospel, we always are thinking of people that have not been reached. Um, I don't know if you ever pause to think about that as you're driving into church, how many people you pass that are going someplace else. Um, both in terms of where they're going today and where they're going ultimately, um, that should be a burden on our hearts. And maybe it's more of a burden on their hearts because it's so visible how small they are. Um, they meet in, the, in a really nice building in the, in the church of a Hungarian Lutheran church. Um, so my mom is Hungarian on one side. So um, I saw the Hungarian Lutheran family, and I said good morning in Hungarian, and they brightened up like, oh, here's someone, because nobody speaks Hungarian. And they brightened up, and then the only next thing I could say was, nem bezoltek madjorol, which means I don't speak Hungarian. <laughs> um, so it's a, very, it's a very vital phrase to know. But it was like they were like lit up, and then they were so disappointed. <laughs> I, was, I felt so bad. Um, but so they meet in this building of a Hungarian Lutheran church. They have, I think, 150 people on the rolls of the church. There were five people there Sunday morning before we met. So you can think of how, how lonely that, that existence can feel for, for Christians in that country. And so we, I think it's good not only that we could go to express our love and our fellowship with them, remind them that they are part of a, a bigger body of believers, but so that we can be reminded just how much we need to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that aren't blessed in the same ways that we've been blessed. Um, And to think about that, how much they need our prayers and how much we want to pray, not just for revival in our own country. I mean, it's easy to look around our country and say, look, we got our own problems and we need to be praying for those. Um, But, you know, sometimes in the grand scheme of things, our problems are not as severe as other people's problems. You know, we kind of joke at times, well, that's that's a first world problem. Um, now, Romania is still the first world, but they, you know, there are real problems that the church faces, and we need to be mindful of that, and we need to be praying for revival everywhere, right? Not just here, um, because in a certain sense, only the Holy Spirit can do it, and if we didn't trust, not in a certain sense, only the Holy Spirit can do it, and if we didn't trust that He has the power to do it, we'd become very despairing. Um, one of the ways I tried to encourage them is that we can't despise the day of small things, You never know when the small things that are being done might bear great fruit. Now, it's difficult for us because the the fruit and the increase doesn't depend on us. So we feel at times the powerlessness of it. We want people to come to know Christ, 
Um, I remember one of my professors in seminary saying, sometimes if you're doing evangelism and someone's listening to you, you almost get surprised. You're sort of like, I'm so used to this failing. You actually are listening to me. Um, you, or when someone's converted, you're like, it actually worked, as if you don't expect it to really happen. I mean, that's kind of the challenge, but don't despise the day of small things, right? You might be planting a seed that'll take root in someone's life down the road. Um, you might start a work that someone else will come along and prosper. And so trying to tell them what I'm sort of trying to tell myself at times too, don't despise the day of small things and don't turn from trusting in the Lord to trying to think that some kind of technique or method will, will, will work things out in a way that only God can work them out. Uh, we, can, we can all have a tendency to be Methodists at heart. Which, but basically just saying, if we just apply the right method, we can generate a result. And one of the hard things about Christianity is there's no right method that will produce automatic results. And so you have to think away from that kind of paradigm and then think, so what is our calling? If there's no magic formula for things, then what should we do? And the thing we should do is be faithful. Faithful to do the things that God has called us to do and to trust that he will work through them. Um, I remember hearing somebody say, you know, an Arminian critique of reform people is, you know, why would you do evangelism if God has to work and do everything? And this reform person, he responded and said, I don't see how you could not, not be reformed and do evangelism. If you didn't trust that God could do it, where would your trust be in doing it? If it depended on you, how would you ever have any confidence that it would accomplish anything? Um, so what we have to do is, is to remember, um, as one pastor told me years ago when I was struggling with this very concept as a younger minister, he said, you're not in the results business. That's what you're failing. I was saying, you know, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying, you know, it's just that doesn't seem to be doing anything. And he said, but that you have to remember, you're not in the results business. You can't generate a result by, you know, you can't say the perfect thing to someone and get them to change their behavior. You can't preach the perfect sermon and change a heart. You, you have to do your work faithfully, but then you have to trust to God to do what he's promised to do. And that can be really hard for us when it doesn't seem to be going on our timetable. And you can imagine how much more difficult it is when you look out and you see only 20 people, 25 people on a Sunday in a city of millions who don't know the Lord and people aren't coming. Uh, And they have other frustrations too. They have a website and they have sermons online and people are reading the sermons, you know, watching the sermons, but they don't come to church. And, you know, with analytics and stuff, you can see there are people in our town that are watching this, but they're not coming to church. Um, how do we try to get, make that transition from people just being passive receivers to being active participants? Uh, Mihai is also on a television show in Romania. Um, so there's, there's a sizable, seven, I mean, nothing is real sizable in Romania, but there is a sizable Seventh-day Adventist influence in Romania, and they have a TV show. And how Mihai got invited to be a part of this TV show is they wanted to talk about election, but realized that none of the people on the panel believed in election, and so um, it wasn't a very profitable conversation about it. So they said, well, you know, what could we do? Is there anybody in this world who even believes this stuff? And somebody had met Mihai at a conference and said, yeah, there's a reform guy in town. They believe in election. I said, okay, great. We'll have him come on, and we'll talk about this. So that was how he was first invited. So he said, it's a little bit of a challenge because... 
it's a Seventh-day Adventist program with their moderators, so they have certain things that they want to bring across in the program. So you have to try to work around to get to what you want to say sometimes. But he said it has provided him a forum, and he knows people are watching because he gets recognized. So he was at, in his hometown in Transylvania, and somebody said, you're on that TV show. I know you from TV. You're famous. Um, so, you know, he says he's had that happen a number of times. People stopped him on the street and say, hey, I know you. So he said, you know, people know me. They've watched me. They, they, some people have said they like what he has to say. There are people listening to sermons and those kinds of things, but trying to get people to come to church, to commit to come and to join. You know, they've gone through recently a season of kind of frustration in that they had some members, you know, some people who were visiting, who were talking about becoming members, and then went away. And so when you're in a small church already, you know, any visitors that come is exciting, and then any loss is a big loss. It's a bigger percentage of who you are. And so I think they went through a real kind of period of frustration. So we were trying to be there to offer fellowship, to offer encouragement, and to offer oversight. You know, we, we do want to oversee what they're doing, and, um, you know, in, in some ways I can bring back a great report that um, we conducted kind of a church visit. Now, we have in our church order a regular time where our churches are supposed to be visited by two experienced office bearers in classes who just come in and make sure we're doing everything according to the church order. Um, so we have these routine visits built into our church life where other ministers and elders will come in and just ask us questions through the church order. Are you doing everything according to what we've agreed to do as churches? Um, now, they're not their own established church in that sense, so they, they don't get a regular visit every two years. But when we go out there, we try to do that as much as possible, to go through those questions so that we can provide supervision and so that we can sort of assist them as they get the word out about their work and assure our broader churches that they are doing things according to the adopted order. So I was able to have, we had a really nice time of fellowship with Mihai and his family and the one elder they have, Claudio Stefu and his family. So we were able to meet and then we were able to kind of have this informal church visit where I went through the church order. And the purpose of that is make sure you're doing everything according to the adopted order. Make sure you give an opportunity if they want to ask questions uh, that you can help them try how to monitor things. Um, and they did have a family that they were going to visit um, and ask some questions about that. So it was a really rich time of fellowship with them and also to provide supervision. So I'm thankful to be able to report they're doing everything they can do according to the adopted order. Now, they don't have any deacons, so that's one of the things we can be in specifically in prayer for them is that the Lord would raise up deacons. I, thought that, I think that's part of their disappointment of these visitors that were coming in and then left is some of them, they thought, if they really become members, they might be good candidates for, you know, more officers. So um, when all of the work of the church falls to just two people, um, that's a lot on both of their shoulders to try to figure out what to do. So that's one of the ways we can be in prayer for them. So they can't do the things that deacons would do, and everything that deacons are supposed to do then falls to the minister um, and the elder. So I can, I can report they're doing everything according to the adopted word. It's a well-ordered church. Um, I was able to give some, you know, pointers about certain things that they could do um, according to the order better, just like we all get in church visits where none of us doing things perfectly. Um, so there was an opportunity to do that as well. Um, but that, that's really the purpose as we went, to, to preach and teach, uh, to provide an opportunity for fellowship and encouragement, and then also to supervise the work. He's a minister of ours, and so we want to be, we are in regular contact um, if you don't know, Elder Hooper oversees the Romania committee that deals with 
um, overseeing Mihai's work and being in communication with him and the needs there. Uh, Noah Collins then oversees the Italy work, so he's with the head of the Italy Missions Committee that works with Reverend Ferrari. So we're trying to do this work of supervision from afar, but there really is no substitute for being there in person, being there face-to-face, being able to fellowship, um, being able to talk to their to their son, Albert, and see how he's doing. Um, Albert is very funny. He's learning, he's learning English for school, but he's very sensitive about how he uses English. So he's only, what, four or five? Four? Okay. Um, so one of the really sweet things, a couple of times we went places with the family, and we were waiting for the subway, and apparently on one crowded day, the subway doors closed when he and his I think he and his mom were on the train, but Mihai couldn't get on the train, and so they took off without him. And so she said he just wailed. And so every time we took the subway, it was very cute. He wanted everyone to hold hands and stay real close together, so <laughs> as if someone was going to get left behind the train. Um, so, you know, I was able to like, talk again, try to, talk, try to convince him to talk a little English. And um, so, you know, just you can't do that over Zoom. You can't do that away. It's, it's wonderful to get to know them, to be able to fellowship with them, and try to extend our love for them in that way as well. So those were really the, the kind of reasons that we went, um, and I just wanted to make sure that we gave time for a report about that, um, and not to be totally discouraging about the work there. I think there's a lot, I think they'd kind of gone through a valley and were sort of on their way out a little bit, but it is uh, a very difficult work. And so I'll, I'll open up for questions, but I just wanted to close with this. Um, one of the things I think about a lot about the dark days of the church, um, I think a lot about a, a sermon that Thomas Brooks gave um, during the great ejection. I'm, I'm weird, so these are the kinds of things I think about. Maybe this is like, this is a window into the mind, I'm not sure you should share. Um, but there was a time in the English church that's referred to as the great ejection in 1662, they were going to mandate that all, all of the churches start using the Book of Common Prayer in the churches. And there were a number of Puritan ministers that objected to that um, as a practice. And the, the church, basically, that was government-run said, okay, you can object to the practice, but if you don't implement it, you're going to be ejected from your position. And so there were thousands of Puritan ministers who refused to adopt this new order and so after one Sunday, they were all ejected from their pulpits by the government. So August 24th, 1662, they rejected. So it's called the Great Ejection because thousands of Puritan ministers were rejected by the government from their positions. And what it led to is a Sunday where all, a lot of these ministers knew they were going to be ejected. They knew that they were not going to be there to preach to their congregations in the future. And so you can think, if you were a minister, what would you say to your congregation in the face of this ejection? Um, and I think about sometimes what Thomas Brooks said to his congregation. He was a Puritan, so it's a long sermon, and I don't have time to recount it all. But I remember he said this, and it stuck with me. I have several times thought what a day of darkness was, on the, was upon the world in respect of sin and superstition when Christ brought the everlasting gospel. What a day of darkness and superstition was on the whole earth. But you know what the apostle says. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by the wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 2 Corinthians one twenty one. When it is nearest day, then it is darkest. 
There may be an hour of darkness that may be upon the gospel as to its liberty, purity, and glory, and yet there may be a sun-shining day ready to tread on the heels of it. Sometimes it's darkest before the dawn, right? That's the expression that we have. Um, And I like his way of thinking about that. When we think about the darkness that we may be experiencing, whether it's the darkness of Romania or the darkness of Southern California, and we can feel like maybe the church is waning, um, I like that thought that maybe what's happening is it's darkest because there's about to be a sun-shining day treading on the heels of it. Uh, Maybe it's actually dark because there's a dawn beginning to come. We have a Lord that can certainly do that. Uh, His arm has not grown too short to save. Um, And the power that's already been seen shedding abroad in this world could be easily seen again. We might feel like it's almost night, but what does the world teach us? Actually, the Word teaches us the night is far gone, the day is at hand, and salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And so I think we have to maintain that hope in our Lord and not succumb to this feeling of, well, it's just getting darker and darker and there's no hope. Um, maybe there's a day of darkness that means there's a sunshining day ready to tread on the heels of it. And our God is certainly able to do far more than we ask or imagine. So we need to be persistent in our prayers for revival in our country and elsewhere to see the gospel flourish um, and save souls. So that's what I wanted to say about my, re- my trip. So I've given my report. Um, are there any questions about any of that? Or any questions that I can try to answer about my trip generally? Yeah. Yeah, the question was how broadly spread out is the church? Um, most of the people are in Bucharest or in the suburb of suburban Bucharest. So um, most of the church is pretty much right in that Bucharest area. They do have some people who are further away. I think there's one guy who's five hours from the church, and he comes in and spends the night before Sunday so that he can be there uh, for worship. But I think most of the congregation is, is either in Bucharest or like the, the Korchas are out in kind of suburban Bucharest. So. Yeah, they do that. Um, they always have a fellowship time on Sunday when they're all there. And so they don't have their own facility. So that's part of the issue of when they can find a space to all get together um, is the challenge. But yeah, they do have regular times of fellowship. Yeah. Um, you, can, you can pray for them this coming winter too. Everyone there was talking about how they're sort of concerned about energy prices um, because energy... They're, they share a border with Ukraine, so the, the war with Russia has put a real pinch on energy in Europe, so we can be in prayer for them as, you know, they're, they're thankful for a long summer and for a relatively warm October because everybody that was there was talking about being concerned about how much it's going to cost to try to heat homes and things this winter, so we can be in prayer for that. Yes? Um, you know, they, how much concern is there about Ukraine since they share a border? That was a question. Um, I don't think there's as much concern now because of how they've been sort of stalled in the Ukraine 
and a lot of the other nations that border on the Ukraine are NATO members or have other treaties that might make, you know, Russia might be stepping over the line. Um, but almost everybody you talk to there, if you said, well, you know, the war doesn't seem to be going particularly well for the Russians, maybe they'll, you know, have to back off. Almost everybody said, Russians just keep coming. They've got more, pe- they'll throw another million people at this war. So they, they were very kind of pessimistic about the prospects of, of the war, even though it seems to be going badly. But I don't think there was as much fear anymore that they were just going to keep transgressing borders. I think that's more of a fear of some of the other countries that share borders with the Ukraine that have more history as being part of the Soviet Union, for those of us old enough to remember back when that was a thing. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah, how often is he on TV? Can you tune in and watch? Um, I think he's been on several times. They like having him on. Um, he's had good rapport, I think, with the, the moderators. You know, the, He said the Seventh-day Adventists have been good understanding he has a different perspective and that he's going to try to get that across. Um, but they like that he brings a kind of robust intellectual uh, element to the show. He said they've had sometimes some pastors clearly not very well educated who've kind of they haven't asked back because it hasn't gone very well. Um, so they appreciate him in that sense. So he's been on a number of times. That's why people recognize him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's on YouTube, but I don't know what it's called. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you search him. I don't know if they have links to it on the, the church's website in Bucharest. Okay, Three Angels Broadcast Network, maybe in Romania. Yeah. And we don't get any. Oh, David, do you know? Okay, so every two weeks he's on. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, maybe like some other YouTube videos that has subtitles. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yes? Yeah, so I think he grew up um, in a kind of evangelical family, um, some more sort of Baptistic in Transylvania, so he grew up more in that the rural part of the country. Um, there is no Dracula in Transylvania. I did, we did go to his castle. It's marketed as Dracula's castle, but he's not there, and it turns out he's not real. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so he grew up in Transylvania, and then he was in engineering. He was in another engineering or something, right? Accounting, financial, something? Yeah, so he was, yeah, that's right. He was involved in a kind of international marketing firm, and then um, he became... Christian, he was already Christian in college, became more serious about it, and then I think found Reverend Ferrari um, through in Italy. So he, Reverend Ferrari was in Milan at the time. They found out about him, and then there was some correspondence between them, and Mihai and some other friends were interested in Reformed theology, and then realized really to have a Reformed church, we need a Reformed minister, and so he made the decision to leave. He'd always, that's right, he'd always been interested in marketing um, and then he decided to go to to come to go to seminary so he could go back and plant uh, a church. So I think he'd gone to Bucharest for college. Yeah. 
Okay. 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 So maybe initial exposure and maybe the Netherlands. So he came to the reform through the Dutch reform. So in that way, he's like all of us. Um, yeah. So yeah, that influence. Right. Right. Yeah. So he was a seminary student here in Escondido then when he decided to go to seminary. He was a member of this church. Um, he was examined here, I think, for ministry, which impressed me because I thought I, it was hard enough for me to take this test in English, much less in another language, although his English is quite good. Um, so anyway, that's sort of his story of coming to the Reformed faith. So. Any other questions? No one wants to know about Dracula's castle? <laughs> All right. I find that very strange, but okay. No, it's good. Um, that's right. We're going to answer that question. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, please do remember to keep them in your prayers. Claudio is his elder, and uh, Mihai is the pastor. Uh, his wife is Lydia, and they have one little boy, Albert. But just continue to pray for the Lord's working, uh, that they would continue to be encouraged in their work and find joy uh, in faithfully laboring for the Lord, and that the Lord would grant the desires of their hearts and all of our hearts to see people come to the Lord and to see the church uh, grow and flourish. Let's uh, pray for them now. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the fellowship of the saints that we have in the, the church universal. We're thankful to be reminded that the church exists in many different places and that you've called people to yourself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We know that wherever your church is planted, there are some problems that are similar to all of us that we see so much apathy in the world around us, so much darkness and uh, disinterest in the things of your Son, and it can be a source of sadness for us and a source of frustration at times as well. And we pray, Lord, that we would not labor in frustration, but that we would labor in hope, that we would continue to trust in you, to recognize that you have already turned the world upside down through the gospel once before and that you certainly can do it again. And in countries like ours and in like Romania where the, where the gospel has had so much influence in the past, where the, where the church has flourished in many ways in the past, it's hard to see the way it's come now. And we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Romania, uh, particularly as they experience the, the smallness of the small days. Um, but we, pr- we hope that we would all not despise the days of small things, that we would remember that through small things you've done great things. And so, Lord, would you continue to help us to labor? And we pray for Romania. We pray for our own poor country, Lord, and for all those who do not know your Son, who continue to walk in darkness on the, on the broad road that leads to destruction. We pray that you would yet be merciful, that you would send forth your servant, that you would use the labors of your church wherever it's found, wherever the true church is found, and proclaiming the true gospel to uh, work great faith and fruit in the lives of people it comes into contact with. So continue to be with Mihai and his family, with Claudio and his family, with the work of the church. And may you prosper and establish the work of his hands. Forgive us our sins, we pray. Bless us now and uh, bring us back to your house safely this evening, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you all for your time. <laughs>